0: Hello, and welcome to episode number 50 of the Point of Convergence podcast. As always, I am your host, ExoAcademian. For getting on for 80 years now, people have been trying to expose secrets kept under lock and key by deeply embedded so called black ops programs within the government that many believe are holding back irrefutable evidence pertaining to knowledge of and interaction with extraterrestrial non-human intelligence. These same people believe that when this secret is finally exposed to the world, it will bring about revelations that will mark a key turning in the course of human civilization, ushering in an era of intergalactic cooperation with a larger family of planetary civilizations. Of course, that's for the people who believe that these others mean us good and are here as part of a peaceful mission to help us ascend to the next developmental level. There are other people who agree that a secret is being kept from humanity, but that this is in part because the news is not good, that these others are dominator races whose aim is either to conquer us via overt means and technology that greatly eclipses our own, or via some insidious plan that involves a hybridization program meant to turn humans into something else entirely. But this picture still isn't complete, because both of the above conceptions of what's going on tend to involve intelligences believed to be extraterrestrial in origin. The thing is, even when one looks at the evidence that exists as part of the literature behind the UFO phenomenon that's publicly available as a result of the work of tireless researchers over the last several decades, it's not at all clear that what's being interacted with are solely off-world races who've traveled here via sophisticated spacecraft— In fact, even if one finds this topic because of a kind of sci-fi interest in advanced spacecraft and alien biological beings originating on some exosolar planet, the data one comes across, assuming one is diligently perusing the totality of the historical data, that is, quickly turns the picture ever more obscure and confusing. And that's because, while extraterrestrials definitely seem to be in the mix, as it were, the total picture is much more complex and multifaceted. Some find this complexity intriguing and inspiring, while others are left feeling unmoored from what they used to believe defined reality as a result of these revelations. Some grab a hold of these revelations with a fervor, feeling inspired to explore elements of a clearly multidimensional reality that makes our former conceptions of reality look like child's play. While others end up abandoning the endeavor altogether, convinced that the more mind-bending aspects of the data suggest a mixture of human fraud, ego, mental instability, and the like have painted a picture that can't possibly be true. Of course, this exposes the fact that what we're willing to entertain as being part of the fabric of the larger reality says as much about who we are as individuals and as different cultural groups as it does about the true nature of all that is. How are we to make sense of this disorienting complexity? How are we to walk what some perceive to be a minefield of competing and mutually exclusive hypotheses regarding the origin and nature of these mysterious non-human others? These are the very matters we'll seek to address in this, the 50th episode of the Point of Convergence podcast. As we begin this week's episode, I would just like to say thanks for tuning in again. Here we are at episode number 50, and whether you're a long-termer who's been here since the beginning, or you've arrived more recently, welcome aboard. This is a fascinating discussion, a fascinating series of topics that are all connected, somehow all form a point of convergence, and that's exactly what we've been exploring over the last 12 months or so. And when I say 12 months, that's because coming up in about two weeks from now, we will reach the one year anniversary of the beginning of this podcast. And since that first podcast on that Saturday afternoon, I've done a podcast every week for 50 episodes in a row. So that's something to celebrate, I would say. So today we're going to go a bit more macro view again. We're going to step back from a close-in micro view of specific cases and specific hypotheses and dial back and look at the big picture. What's going on? What's being observed? How long has it been observed for? And what are the collection of hypotheses put forward to make sense of this dazzling array of complexity that is equally intriguing as it is bewildering? There are a couple of other things I would like to say at the outset. First of all, I think there's a very good reason why it's hard to reconcile the actions and activities of the intelligence behind the UFO phenomenon. And that's because, simply put, it's not the same intelligence. Now, while there are some researchers who would argue that perhaps this is the machinations of a single intelligence that just uses different disguises to fool us, I personally don't think that's the best fit for the data we're seeing. While perusing the totality of the data, if you're able to establish different patterns that exist within that totality, then to me, the best fit for the data is that there are multiple intelligences interacting with us. I think that's even more the case that that's a better supported perspective because we have no reason to believe to the contrary that there aren't numerous intelligences interacting with us. In fact, when you look at the full data, not just based on those who are interested in extraterrestrials and not just those interested in the fae or those interested in interdimensionals, I think it's clear that what we have here is a dizzying array of interaction with a cosmos teeming with life, some in our dimension and some interdimensional, some extradimensional. Bottom line, this is a very complex but fascinating picture, and today we're going to look at some of the broad themes contained within that larger cosmic canvas. Now, some of the matters we'll discuss today we've touched on on previous episodes of this podcast. Other elements will be new, and they will be elements we will get to in greater detail in future podcasts. Rest assured, you never run out of material for a topic such as this, for a meta category such as the UFO phenomenon, because there are so many elements in play. It's a dizzying array of elements. It really is, and I still think we're coming to grips with, exactly what's involved. So let's touch on that. Let's touch on some of the elements that are part of the bigger picture that we should keep in mind when we try to make sense of the data observed. One thing that's fascinating about this topic, and I talked about this in the very beginning of this podcast, is the crossover between not just UFOs and aliens, but also various aspects of the psi spectrum demonstrated by human beings. Here we talk about telepathy, clairvoyance, telekinesis, abilities such as that. Evidence clearly suggests human beings do have these capacities, some in greater order than others, but everyone has it to some degree. And this suggests we have something more in common with these others than many first believe. It is not necessarily alien to be telepathic whatsoever. If it were, we would not be able to understand them when they did communicate with us telepathically. That alone suggests there is something cosmic connecting them and us. Something else that's fascinating is that out-of-body experiences and near-death experiences involve elements that crossover with the UFO phenomenon, again, very fascinating, and surely this is telling us something about the very fabric of reality. For instance, as I've pointed out before, when human beings come into contact with these others in a kind of alternate realm, that might be on board a ship, or it might be in some alternate reality, it might be in a different state of consciousness. But whatever the case, human beings are brought into awareness of a broader conception of who they are. In other words, who we are. And as I've said before, this is the X factor in this discussion. We so often are quick to jump to who are they? Where do they come from? But I think an equally important factor is the question of who we are and where we come from and how are we related to those others. When people come into contact with some of these others that we call aliens or when people have near-death experiences or sometimes out-of-body experiences, They experience a broader conception of who they are. And sometimes, while we're used to thinking of lives being lived either one and that's it, or sequentially in kind of a notion like reincarnation, often what people perceive is more of a parallel lives kind of reality. And here we should remember that time as we perceive it, linear and unidirectional, is, as Einstein put it, merely a persistent shared delusion. Now at the outset, I made it clear that I believe the evidence suggests there are multiple intelligences involved, and not just that, but multiple different origin stories. Some are coming from other planets, quite likely, within our universe, within our dimension, you might say. Others are coming from different dimensions, and some are coming from outside of a space-time construct altogether. What's funny about human research into these kinds of matters is that people tend to divide into different subsections and focus only on that specialty, largely because they assume it is unrelated to other specialties. And ironically, often many of these researchers in each of these groups kind of silently judge the others, believing that those investigations and those endeavors, those domains of reality are somehow less important or perhaps not real at all. That's one of the main mistakes being made, and regularly so. Calm Kelleher and George Knapp talked about this when they discussed matters at Skinwalker Ranch, where you clearly have a bizarre assortment of interactions with various phenomena, including different phenomena that we didn't used to think as being somehow connected. This is what these two had to say in regards to their experiences and their findings at a place like Skinwalker Ranch. Quote, In the future, an adventurous sociologist might consider writing a paper that examines the caste system in anomalies research. The nuts and bolts UFO research people regard the psychosocial UFO researchers with disdain. UFO researchers in general regard the cryptozoologists with contempt. Cryptozoologists who embrace the possibility of a paranormal connection of Bigfoot sightings are generally viewed with derision because of the prevailing view that Sasquatch is an undiscovered primate species, not an interdimensional playmate of alien beings. Likewise, the paranormal researchers view the UFO researchers with disdain, while the ghost hunters keep their distance from everybody else. And all of this hostility and contempt is a vain and so far unsuccessful attempt to earn a small measure of respect and acceptance and maybe funding from mainstream science, a lofty but unlikely goal. So how does one go about modeling the range of more than 100 phenomena that occurred on the ranch between 1994 to 2004? Unquote. So that really paints the picture in a nutshell. You've got these different groups focusing on different specialties and not even necessarily believing that the other specialties even deserve any attention at all, and many not considering the possibility that somehow this is all connected, that all of these different threads must somehow weave together in some meta-conception of reality. In that quote I just read from George Knapp and Colm Kelleher, it was also mentioned that these different researchers in these different specialties Are hoping for funding and perhaps respect, first and foremost, from the larger scientific establishment. As they hinted at there, that's tough going, because so much of these phenomena simply exist outside the conceptions that most mainstream scientists are even willing to entertain as being possible. If we wait for mainstream science, which is reductionistic and materialistic, to get on board, we will not get anywhere. Or if we do get somewhere, it will be decades into the future. As much as it is tough sledding for now, we have to be pioneers. And I salute those who are. The OSAP investigation, which we recently covered when we talked about skinwalkers at the Pentagon over two episodes, is a great example where they recognized because of historical research that this somehow needs to be studied together because so many of these phenomena co-arise. In other words, why should we research Bigfoot and UFOs? Well, because they so often end up appearing together. That's happened numerous times at a place like Skinwalker Ranch, and that's certainly not the only location that's experienced those kind of co-arising phenomena. Now, speaking of our society and the way we think about reality, we just talked about how mainstream science doesn't think many of these things are even possible. Therefore, why would we bother investigating them? We should be aware of cultural templates and cultural taboos. That's a key aspect of this discussion as well. And often what a society considers possible is much more likely to be grounded into experience and therefore take on a new level of reality. Put succinctly, as more people have anomalous interdimensional experiences, while others become increasingly open to the possibility of them, this in turn serves to ground this into our collective consciousness, effectively increasing the likelihood of even more transit and interaction with various non-human intelligence. In other words, our belief systems, our conceptions of reality, seem to play a role in what actually happens. That's partly why you see some cultures around the world have a much longer and richer history with paranormal phenomena. It's not because they just have more vivid imaginations and they're imagining things. No, rather, they actually experience more because they have a template for it, which invites it in, grounds it, which in turn increases the likelihood that more will happen. There is a kind of relational dynamic here, and it's two-way. By the way, the notion I just spoke about is not so out there, is not so unfathomable to the most cutting-edge versions of quantum physics. Of course, in quantum physics, we understand that somehow consciousness seems to collapse the waveform, that the act of observation somehow changes reality, resolves it into one thing over another. You can think of that in the same way when we talk about mass thought, mass conception of a culture And that that collapses into existence the possibility of some of these paranormal aspects of reality. People like Dean Radin have also been involved in trying to spearhead what's been called post-material science, even though Radin doesn't like that particular term. But an increasingly broad collection of scientists are coming forward to say, listen, the data supports a kind of science that must move beyond a reductionistic materialist paradigm. We're only going to understand reality to greater degrees if we move past that. And that's very exciting in terms of where things are likely to go in the future. I think these paranormal subjects that have been considered fringe for so long will continue to be incrementally normalized until eventually they become part of mainstream science. Now, speaking of aspects of this phenomenon, and here I'm not speaking just of the UFO phenomenon, but anomalous research in general, because I think it's all connected. Speaking of that, part of what confounds many people is how the beings interacted with, the intelligences interacted with, seem to cross back and forth between objective and subjective reality, or a kind of energetic versus a physical nature. They can actually bridge both of those modalities, which of course in itself confounds our understanding of reality, even though, as I said, once again, quantum physics implied that that was likely the case, that we would find entities like that in light of experiments that were conducted a hundred years ago. But on this topic, this is what John Mack had to say about these kinds of beings. Quote, The idea that we live in a multidimensional universe populated by beings or life forms that are less densely embodied than we are, or perhaps not embodied at all, is not new to Eastern religious traditions or to most of the indigenous peoples of the world. But it is not a cosmos that is familiar or accepted as existing by the scientific culture of Western society, which has perhaps once necessarily constructed a universe in which the material or psychological, the seen and unseen realms have been kept largely separate so that the physical world might be understood and mastered in its own right, unquote. And I think Mac is really onto something there scientific materialism did have its place it has had its place it has allowed us to soar to some amazing heights when it comes to understanding the natural world developing technology and medicine and whatnot but that is not to say that things haven't been lost along the way or that perhaps now we are in a period in our civilization's history when we can begin to reconnect some threads we left behind From my point of view, we need a future that is not only technologically oriented, but also shamanistically oriented. If we could somehow merge those two, I think that will be key to us truly breaking new ground that no civilization in human history has ever reached before. Now, speaking of this kind of crossover nature, this physical and non-physical or energetic and physical dual mode that these entities seem to possess or embody... Patrick Harper, who wrote the classic Daemonic Reality, says something similar, Quote, Never quite divine nor quite human, the demons erupted out of the soul of the world. They were neither spiritual nor physical, but both. Neither were they, as Jung discovered, wholly inner nor wholly outer, but both. They were paradoxical beings, both good and bad, benign and frightening, guiding and warning, protecting and maddening. As I pointed out earlier, when some researchers who are used to our usual conceptions of reality and these hard lines between objective and subjective and between material versus energetic end up abandoning their research altogether when they come across such seemingly contradictory data. But it's not that the data is contradictory. It's that our notions of reality, our notions of beingness are incomplete insufficient, sometimes wholly incorrect. A lesson we need to learn here is when the data reveals time and time again, when you look at it objectively, that somehow these entities can be both subjective, objective, physical, energetic, and that they can interact with people in the physical realm and leave physical traces, radar returns, soil samples, markings on people's body, etc., but that they can also show up in people's dreams and impact their consciousness directly, that somehow this is the larger picture of reality we need to be paying attention to. It's the larger picture of reality that we need to reference when we structure our new conceptions of ultimate reality. Now let's move on to a discussion of ontology. Now what is ontology? In brief, ontology is a branch of philosophy and a science of what is and of the kinds and structures of objects. In simple terms, ontology seeks the classification and explanation of entities. Ontology ultimately concerns claims about the nature of being and existence. And you see, ontological concerns are front and center when it comes to the UFO phenomenon and all anomalous investigations because so often we come down to trying to answer the question Are they real and in what way are they real? And as I've already pointed out, often this merely shines a light on the fact that our conceptions are faulty or at least gravely incomplete. With that said, now let's move on to a discussion of the different kinds of groups or different categories we can use to make sense of the broad assortment of entities that are encountered and have been encountered across the course of human history. Now, there are different ways you can think about the different kinds of groups that are encountered. For instance, Graham Hancock has identified fairies, aliens, and spirits as his sort of three meta-categories, which he uses to make sense of these others, these non-human intelligences that human beings have contacted over the course of our history, going, of course, well back into the depth of even human prehistory. Now, of those three groups that Hancock identified, which again were fairies, aliens, and spirits as three broad brush categories, we can think of those being assigned to three different domains, fairy, galactic, and celestial. So let's break that down a little bit. The fairy or the fae are these kinds of entities that seem to bridge this line between physical and not. They exist in our world, but only sometimes. You can think of them as being interdimensional in a way, but it's not just that they necessarily pop in and out of a different dimension and then come into ours and are physical in one and then physical in another, but rather that their very modality changes so that they may be in a way here all along, but their modality shifts so we become aware of them only on certain occasions and only when certain criteria that are as of yet not well understood are met. Then you have the galactic domain. Now clearly, here we're thinking about outer space. We're thinking about entities that are connected to planets within solar systems, within galaxies. Any kind of extraterrestrial entity is going to fall into the galactic category. And then finally, we had that celestial category. And this relates to what I call the extra-dimensional category, or the category of beings who are coming from outside a space-time construct altogether. They don't arise from a certain planet in a certain solar system in some far-flung galaxy. They don't exist within the space-time construct as we conceive of it at all. Angels, demons, and Dorothy Isaac's light beings, you can assign to this category, celestial. So that gives us three broad-brush categories that we can think of as we make sense of what's going on in terms of the plethora of entities that human beings have encountered over time. So, so far, we've been talking about different kinds of evidence that we might count in terms of understanding what's going on with all anomalous experience. Now, something that's part of my history that's been hugely helpful for me in terms of making sense of all this data is integral theory. Now, what is integral theory? According to Wikipedia, It is, quote, Ken Wilber's attempt to place a wide diversity of theories and thinkers into one single framework. It is portrayed as a theory of everything, the living totality of matter, body, mind, soul, and spirit, trying to draw together an already existing number of separate paradigms into an interrelated network of approaches that are mutually enriching, unquote. Now, Ken Wilber famously said, quote, I have one major rule. Everybody is right. More specifically, everybody, including me, has some important pieces of truth, and all of those pieces need to be honored, cherished, and included in a more gracious, spacious, and compassionate embrace. Unquote. That's really the way I look at it. That when you look at religious history, when you look at indigenous culture's history, when you look at the rise of science and the enlightenment. And all these different historical events and different people groups around the world, if certain conceptions of reality were working for those people, it's very likely that there was something to it. That it may not be complete, it's almost always partial, but it is a piece of the puzzle, as Ken Wilbur is pointing to here. And the only way we're going to construct a comprehensive reality large enough deep enough to make sense of this phenomenon is if we try to bring together all of these diverse aspects all of these diverse conceptions into some overarching meta-conception that in a nutshell is the point of integral theory now one of the key aspects of integral theory that i so appreciate is its understanding that there are multiple domains that we need to pay attention to That we need a non-reductive understanding of reality, model of reality, to make sense of the totality of what people experience. And what you find with the different hypotheses that tend to be postulated, put forward to explain the phenomenon, often you'll see people focusing on one of those domains while ignoring the others. Sometimes people outright don't even believe that the other domains are actually quote-unquote real, and so they don't quote-unquote count. But again, I think that's a faulty understanding that is nearsightedness to the extreme. There are multiple domains in play here. And the only way we're going to make sense of the totality of the phenomena that are observed and the totality of the different intelligences and entities that are encountered is if we weave together a tapestry that includes various hypotheses. Because again, different aspects of reality, different entities, different origin stories are involved here. Only by combining all of that complexity you end up with a narrative that gets close to describing what we're talking about here. Now in terms of the different hypotheses put forward to explain the UFO phenomenon, there are many, perhaps more than you're even aware of. Now next week we will dive back into this topic, picking up where we leave off today, and we'll address each of those hypotheses and how they may each capture part of the totality we're observing. Because again, only by combining all of them, we end up with something resembling what's actually being observed. As I've been saying throughout this podcast episode, one has to at least attempt to keep all of this complexity loosely in mind when trying to make sense of this phenomenon, when trying to piece together patterns that may exist in the data. And importantly, one has to be able to maintain the position of a student throughout. Certainty is the death knell not only of a spirit of adventure, which I would argue is more important and more essential to feeling alive than most people realize, but also to any hope of making progress amidst this expansive and ever-expanding, wondrous complexity that ultimately encompasses the very tapestry of all that is. As Zen Buddhist teacher Shunru Suzuki famously observed, quote, if your mind is empty, it is always ready for anything. It is open to everything. In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the expert's mind, there are few. Unquote. And on that note, we've come to the close of another edition of the Point of Convergence podcast. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so by going to Patreon.com/exoacademian. But until we pick it up again next time, friends. From deep within the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina, this is Exoacademian signing out.